0: This is a Momentum Media production.
1: Welcome to the Pure Property Podcast. Whether you are considering buying your first investment property or reaching property mogul status, we dissect the fundamentals through to large-scale property development and everything in between. And that's a pretty good guitar riff, uh, Phil Tarrant, co-host. Of the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. Joining me in the studio is the one and only Paul Glossop. And I do note he couldn't even dress up and put a collared shirt on. He's come in in a T-shirt. This is this is Irish linen. That's what they actually used to put onto uh, airplanes uh, in the First <laughs> World War was Irish linen. It's the best for for your Fokker. <laughs> <laughs> fun fact <laughs> another fun fact that I didn't ask why, for why would I need to know that they use Irish linen on the wings of British World War I tell me aeroplanes. enlighten me it enlighten know, me why just one, one of those many know. facts right. that I know
0: if you're looking to refurb a World War I well, they, they still, they,
1: it still is really, really good for for, for right. planes that don't have metal skins. They Antibacterial. Still use, no, Well, the, the, maybe the moths in the mildew don't get mildew. into it,
0: maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Anyway, there we go. Thank you, though. Appreciate. We're I'm back. sure everyone else
1: is um, oh, well, really appreciative of that is, But you got to know the facts. You need to know the details. That's a good A lot way. of people say don't sweat the small stuff. You should sweat the small stuff, particularly when it comes to property investment. That's right. what I always say. I like it. That's why I always say, "Do it yourself. Don't use a buyer's agent." Yeah, fair enough. Why have you used one then? Me, multiple times over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the time, energy. Do as I say, effort. not as I do. <laughs> yeah, don't just don't
1: want to deal with it. Just don't want to do it. I want someone, someone who's better at it than me. Yeah, fair enough. And I dare say your segue is that that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> God, ah. I sometimes sit there and think, you know, could I become a buyer's agent? And I and I go. Maybe. Right. Maybe, but I don't want to. Mm. I don't want to, want to. Your patience, maybe. No. I, 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 you. I t- t- you know, I I, I sometimes find property quite fatiguing personally. Yeah. and um, That's why you outsource Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons why I use it. I just don't want to have to deal with real estate agents, really. Like, it's. it's I like real estate agents. Yep. I spend a lot of time with real estate agents yep. and I like, Property managers manage my properties, but I don't like dealing with real estate agents when I'm buying property. I just don't want it.
0: It's a very long dance, and Mm. you've experienced this recently. I don't Mm. know from conversations we've had about a property you've been working on yourself, but it's it's trying. It's trying. And as a a buyer's agent for a long period of time, and having a team of buyers agents within my company, I tell you what, it's it's not without its challenges. Don't you get sick
1: of it? Don't you just think, oh, you must know all the games though, so you can shortcut it? That's Kind of it, like mm. there's a fair few hacks. Which, I'm not beating up real estate agents, not at all. Like they, they, yeah.
0: most of the good ones, do their job, and, and yeah. part of their job is to really do the dance. And the dance takes time. Um, it's not mm. something you want to rush if you want to maximize a price. And you know, sometimes we're trying to not work to work with the best real estate agents intentionally <sighs> to buy property, selling property, different proposition. Mm. Buying property, we're trying to find the ones who want to do the dance on our terms, not on theirs. Yeah, and most people don't like that.
1: no, no the vast no. majority. And you, and you. Well, everyone's working towards the same outcome, which is a property transaction, but you're coming it from, from two very different sides. The, the, the vendor, the agent representative wants to get it as much money as possible, and you obviously want to get it at what you think is a good number, which- Often isn't the same number as what the seller wants. The sell vast it for. majority of the time, yeah.
0: and 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 I guess that probably speaks volumes. In, and I know we're sort of not necessarily going on script here, but it probably speaks volumes for anyone who's proposing or, or considering engaging a buyer's agent. And we talk about a lot of this really early when we're trying to shape the industry. Phil, on the not this podcast, but your podcast network on SPI. When you're sort of talking about what buyers agents do, you know, mm-hmm. that conversations happen more times than we care to talk about, but. How buyers agents are incentivized is also part of the questions that you need to sort of understand is that when you talked about both of their intentions, one's to get the price as high as possible, the other one's to get the price as low as possible. If you're charging a flat fee for us, that's why we don't want to get the dance done at the highest price possible, because ultimately we're not incentivized on a price or a commission based on a sale price. We're incentivized to get an outcome that we know is yes. the best outcome possible.
1: It's a hard one when you're, I know people do it on, on principle play sh- of residence, yep. right, and 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 normally that's okay because there's sort of a set budget in place. You're yep. not going to get a, a huge surprise, but if you're buying investment property over market value and you're actually paying someone to do that, like yeah, it's and it happens a lot. It happens and, 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 and then that pisses people off, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know I, I see it time and time again where and we just did some some research actually on this. You go and look at it in a smart property investment, but um. Pretty much saying how many people would want to who use the buyer's agent the first time, and then don't want to use the buyer's agent for the second time, and, yeah. and the numbers are quite sort of interesting. And I think really? the reason why, and we, we've got a shared friend yep. who who I talked to, I won't give any information around them, who I think used you for buying a property or two, and then yep. went bought a couple. I, yeah, I don't want I don't want to pay Paul no more. No. I'll do it myself. Yep, and I was like, sure. Knock yourself out, mate. He doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, if you use him, he's going to do a good job. Yep. But if you want to try and do it yourself, no worries. Yep. Knock your socks off. Yeah. You know, which is like, yeah, yeah. then I think he spent like six months trying to do it and he'd yep. be like, stuff it. Yeah. And he'd come back he and, and, and there we were yeah. again. And 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 not know he tunes really into this. well. Yeah. I bet sure they have. But, yeah. um, but, you know, it's funny how it works. Yeah, yeah. When people just work out, it's just not the buying bit. It's, everything else. Everything else. Everything else. Everything else. You know? yep. Or they go, well, ah, yeah. Paul's told me where I should buy. I'm going to yeah. go buy there by myself. Absolutely. You and know? hot tip,
0: we don't, we don't ring fence that information. If no. you're going to come and have a chat with me, an initial chat and you're going to tell me your situation and tell me what you want to do or you're going to talk about building a strategy and a plan, the locations and the property types aren't something that I'm going to say you pay me first before I'll tell you that. All of that information is something that we intentionally want to give away because we don't feel like we're the gatekeepers of rent random suburbs which no one else knows exist. This is all public information.
1: The job is the execution. 90% of what we do is the execution. And sort of having spent a lot of time with and around and working with buyers agents, um, if you're not using, and I think this is the, the person we're speaking about, pretty much going, because you go, oh, yeah, I don't know what buyers agent really do and this and the other. By the time a property lands on realestate.com, it's probably gone through the hands of about four or five buyers agents anyway. Yep. And that's the reason why it's probably on real estate dot com is because the agent couldn't shift it it's before overpriced. it actually before it actually went onto the market. So Correct. so if it's there already, it's the I think we've used this Chinook summon before. It's probably still <laughs> a good property, but it's been rejected by John West, it right? Has, you know. It has. So anyway, just yep. give some logic yep. to what yeah, it is. Yeah, but um, yeah, buyer's agents. Anyway, well, you got your own podcast now.
0: I do. I do. Well, I thought it was, um, it was something that we looked at. This is at. your podcast, this by the is way. It's my nothing podcast. to do with me. It's not yours. You're no. here for uh, begrudgingly for some reason that people like your voice potentially it's more than mine, sad, but we might have it? to poll that just to figure that one out. But oh, I, I am told I'm, I know I'm quite nasally. It's it's not my fault. It's the way, it's the way God, God's built me and, mm. and developed me. I could get maybe a little deviated septum clearing out there maybe, but look, <laughs> I, I'm not ill. I don't suffer from a permanent cold. I'm just nasally. But that being said, I think um, what we've chosen to do with this podcast and what we're going to do again today is is pick real life, both clients of mine, but just general Mm. property investors from all walks of life, all times that they're intersecting or choosing to invest or choosing not to invest. And they all have a an interesting story to tell. And I think really the intention here is that we're not talking theory. We're talking relative outcomes for people at different stages of their investing career and we're showing yeah. real life examples of good and not so good things that have, have happened and where they've invested, what they could have done differently, and hopefully giving a lot of people real life stories as to what they can learn from.
1: Yeah. And that's the logic of this, uh, trying to do things a bit different. Reaction videos Yeah, it's what people want. So um, I I have here. They've given me a little computer for Very those people nice. who can um, see on the video here. Where I get the press stop and start, so I have no idea what's on this. So you don't. We, no, I actually have no idea. <laughs> I know it's uh, Chloe. Hey, Chloe, how are you going? And, and if you're watching this on um, on video, you'll be able to watch this as well. Or if you're on the um, on audio, you should get the sense of it all. But uh, essentially, we've got um, a bit of a, a recording that. Paul has had with, with Chloe, it's probably like akin to a, a catch-up or yeah, some sort yeah. of consultation Correct. type thing. Correct, like basically part of our annual reviews, going
0: yeah. through it and, and having that that in-depth discussion about where, what, how, why, and mm. um, going through all those what's and all components that we do go through with our
1: clients. Our yeah, well, and say, thanks for... Um, for doing this, Chloe. It's appreciative. Um, is there anything I need to know beforehand? Do we need to anything about Chloe? You cover it all off? Or?
0: Um, look, we'll cover it off, but I guess just to set the scene for everyone who's listening in, um, Chloe and her, her husband, Joel, uh, came to us well, probably the best part of three, four years ago, or maybe three years ago now from memory. At that time, they had their principal place of residence they bought four or five years prior. They're both working couple, have bought a home in the western suburbs of Sydney sometime before catching up with us. They also had then bought a property in Mudgy, which they bought without our services at the time. It's done well, but I think the intention of buying that property then for there was something they could see, something they could renovate, something they could get their hands on and touch. And then they essentially pushed pause and did nothing. And I think what the, uh, for me, and we'll touch base on this a little bit later in this podcast, but I think what they're a true testament of is that most people listening to this are probably in a position where they either can or want to do something. There's always going to be a crossroads and a choice for anyone out there who thinks, I just, it's too hard, basket, or it's too late, or it's too early, or it's not the right time they are testament to a scenario where there's never going to be a perfect time. Mm-hmm. They, they had a young family, they've continued to grow their family, they both have busy careers, things happen in life and what they've done consistently is continue to take steps to better their financial future. And I think for anyone who's out there thinking, look, they're, they're mid, mid-30s, mid to late 30s, they're at the, you know, the peak age of continuing to grow a family, be super busy and all those things that come with raising a young family, they could have just chosen to say, look, we'll do this in 10 years time. Yeah. But I guess what the cost of doing that is,
1: is we'll find I out in this catch podcast. Up. All right. Well, let's yep. start the recording. I press the go button. G'day,
0: you know, Chloe. Uh, thanks again for joining us. And That's Paul I know that talking based the way. on what we've discussed on Wearing air a college shirt. obviously what we're going to discuss on air. this is going to be for hopefully all listeners, a really, really interesting cross-section of um, information that we don't necessarily get a chance to talk about on property investment podcast networks, such as ours, is that there's certainly going to be a bit more flavor in a comparison of shares versus property and real life example of that and real life experience. And probably internet connection. I think from what I know, and, and hopefully we'll get a lot more information out of this as part of our chat, is that it doesn't have, have to a be shave. completely utterly ubiquitous to say that you either are a property investor or a share investor, you can't be in both camps. So, for, for everyone out there, Chloe um, Chloe's, Chloe and, and your partner, Joel, have been clients of ours for the best part of probably two and a half years, maybe coming on three years now. And um, I think we initially had some conversations, probably the best part of, of two and a half, three years ago, to talk about the position we were in and setting up a bit more of a longer-term property performance portfolio focused on growth, focused on cash flow. You weren't starting fresh when you came to us. You did have property. You also had a substantial share portfolio. And we're sort of looking at, okay, how do we really get this onto a level that we know is going to give us really meaningful returns? So, for for the listeners uh, out there, Chloe, uh, hopefully from what I'd like to maybe open with is is throwing it over to yourself to get a bit more of an understanding as to yourself, your partner, where you are in life, when you joined us, what your portfolio looked like both on the property and share market side a couple of years ago before we started to build the property portfolio side and we can hopefully dig a bit deeper
1: from there.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me.
1: That's a long introduction. I Means taken <laughs> <laughs> Right, so it's all set up. That's We're all set good. we the scene. we, we like to all set. The all set. The scene. Yeah, it's cool. It's good.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. Very happy to be on, on the podcast. Look, we first, I think, stumbled across your podcast in 2021. And as you mentioned, at that stage, we we had already started dabbling. And i say dabbling because it was um, a little bit of luck at the start and yep. we were really trying to upskill um and build our knowledge in the property investment side. So, at that point in time, we had we had our own place. We worked hard uh, and saved our deposit. There definitely wasn't any, um, I suppose, any real financial help from parents or relatives or anything like that. So we saved hard, and we had um, one child at the time. We wanted to get into property investment, and because of our um, credit limitations at that time, we were really looking around the regional sectors, mm. and which does. Is an interesting, uh, interesting insight. So we were, we we're kind of boxed into the region. So we wanted to, to find a regional centre that we could see ourselves visiting, really. Mm-hmm. So we we settled on Mudgee, and we got we bought in, I suppose, the eastern suburbs uh, side of Mudgee. <laughs> so lovely, we got, re- yeah. yeah, we got. We went up on a few weekends and um, we saw this property we fell absolutely in love with. And it was just a two-bedroom, 1800s property in the centre of town. So, we bought that for about 355000 mm-hmm. uh, about six or seven years ago. Yep. Um, and look, during COVID, obviously, we all know that a lot of those <laughs> tourist towns, those regional towns went boom. So, we've actually moved that to an Airbnb type arrangement that now and and it still is performing great for us and it brings in circa about 3000 a month for us, which is which is really good. Mm. When we called you, I actually, um, Joel and I thought we've got to do more. You know, we're, we're striving for financial freedom and hopefully an earlier retirement we need to do more with our money. You can't just sit there. Can't, mm-hmm. can't keep spending it. And I fell pregnant at that time as well, so I had an impending maternity leave coming up. So I think we contacted you in 2021 um, mm-hmm. to talk about our next strategy, and I think for us we were just we spent a lot of time trying to do a lot of our own research, and I think it was great reaching out to you because you made sense of all that research for us and provided your own perspective. And we reached out to quite a few people, and your approach really resonated resonated with us. So I, I think you guided us into our more of a, our next property, a set and forget property, up in Rothwell. At that same time is when we said we thought we have to really diversify as well and do more in the share market. Mm. So to be honest, we weren't as comfortable with shares. So we went for a bit of a conservative approach and we went for managed funds through Macquarie Group actually. So yep. we put some substantial shareholdings in an Australian share fund at that point in time.
1: I'll stop it there really quickly, Paul. Um so this is the story of property and shares simultaneously. Mm. I'm sitting here going, oh, I wonder wonder how the the share portfolio is gone. Mm. Um, And and I'm not going to express what I think has happened and I'll see how that all plays out. But a couple of key points there. Um, Number one, why did they think they needed to also invest in shares as well as property. do they have a financial planner?
0: No, they didn't. But I think the one word that gets thrown around, I I personally, the older I get, the more I realize that the word diversification is Mm -hmm. probably a safety word for a lot of people. And I think ultimately people think that if they're early in the stage in investing, they think, well, one might do better than the other, or ultimately I need a a safety net in the share market if the property market or vice versa. I think their position was, okay, well, we need to get some money into some managed funds. She Chloe, and she might correct me off air if I'm wrong here, but I think did work with Macquarie at the time. Yeah. So probably had a little bit of that head office mentality. Yeah,
1: just the influence. Of influence the of, environment. The, yeah, the, yeah, which the closest is fine. people are,
0: Which yeah, which exactly that and, yep. and we did speak off air about this. we don't actually go too deep in the performance of the shares, but suffice to say, feel that you're probably your assumptions are somewhat correct in that she put money into or her and Joel put money into managed funds, predominantly ASX managed funds. Um the growth of that fund in general has been modest to say the least. Mm. And probably her her resounding observation of Australian shares in general, from what she's seen in the returns, has been more that they're geared towards dividends as opposed to growth. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where her mindset has shifted in it. I'm not adv- opposed to it, and you and I, you know, we talk about this all the time, that we've got money invested in shares and, and other things that we don't necessarily know that much about, but when it comes down to it, it was it was for the feeling of safety because my money's a bit diversified. It's not yeah. just all in one market or one one product.
1: That's cool. And and um, yeah, I can't criticize yeah. that. It's, it's, you know, and, and managed funds, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, essentially you're someone else sort of goes out there and works out what funds to invest in. So then you take a, a position at the aggregate level of a little bit of this, that, 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 the yep. other. And the idea being that some of, if it's Australian equities, some of them will outperform the market. Some of them will perform as per the market and some of them will perform less than how the market performs. But at, at an aggregate level, you're hoping that you're going to get some sort of performance and therefore get a check out of it, yield, yep. so income. Yep. And, and you find that a lot of people – we'll look at those type of investments when they move from sort of accumulation to consolidation and then sort of a retirement phase uh, where they start thinking about how you can generate money. Like it's great as a property investor to get a lot of capital growth as you're you can't spend capital growth no. unless you do something about it. And um, and it takes and it takes time and it costs money to trade in and out of property.
0: Yeah. And, and I think one last thing I'll add to that before we continue on with this, uh, and you'll probably note that one thing we talk about a fair bit, and when I do set up strategies with clients, we talk about buffers. Mm. And buffers are more or less, and we talked about this with another friend off Airfield, is that buffers aren't necessarily your savings that sit in a bank account. That is one form of a buffer, but another buffer essentially is is shares that could be liquidated pretty much immediately if you needed that cash at a squeeze for a particular reason. It could also be you've refinanced a property that's grown in value and released equity with no intention to touch that, but the money's available if something goes wrong. And there has been a an actual scenario about building a portfolio, which we go into and I won't give it away, but buffers are key and the share market and having those having those managed funds was also that methodology of that's where a buffer sat. Mm. It didn't just sit dormant in a cash account earning nothing that yeah. actually tried to
1: get some money out of it. But it also meant that we've got money to draw on if we do need it at a pinch. Yeah. She spoke about um tracking you down from a podcast. Was that what the smart Property investment show, unfortunately. That? Yeah. Yes. That's that's, that's gotta annoy you. But she says she spoke to other buyers agents as well though. So yeah, so you're was... normally part of a like a competitive tender, I guess.
0: Is it that, it yeah. certainly is. I mean, yeah. I get interviewed on that, that first meeting that I have with almost all of my clients. You know, I, I take it in the sense so that- a, we have a job interview me. pretty much every day of the uh, week. I, I have about 10, 10 a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, the beauty about doing it We're regularly- conversion uh, rate? One <laughs> in 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it depends on the day. Yeah. Uh, but, but, it, but ultimately what it means is, I mean, you don't, you do this enough. I mean, our, our figures are our figures. I mean, we, we've done our Fast 50 guide recently. We've done our Fast 50 guide at the start of this year. We're going to release another one next year. We talk about the results and we actually, we've been in this game for a decade and we've, we've bought 2000 properties. So, we actually have a lot of data that we can retrace on how we've bought, where we've bought, how it's performed versus the market. So, you know, ideally from this point in time, our reputation precedes us. So, if people are going to interview me, it's not necessarily just on what performance they're going to get, it, but it's also, can they work with me? Am mm-hmm. I the person that they get along with? Is my team going to be the right fit? Because as you you know, Phil, you know, this is investment in the person and the company as much as the outcomes they're going to deliver.
1: Yeah. And you're absolutely right. We've spoken about that beforehand. You can tune in some of those podcasts. Just one more thing before we continue. Chloe said, um, we fell in love with the property. Mm. Does that make you nervous as a property investment guy? Most of the time, yes. Yeah. Most
0: of the time <laughs> it usually it usually correlates to underperformance. We,
1: we, uh, we, we fell in love with the property. It was well, the 1890s yeah, or somewhere else. Yeah, other. cottage. Like old. Yeah, and, old and needing some love.
0: And, yeah. But in turn, where they did end up buying, and she mentioned the word luck a few times in this mm. conversation, she said they lucked out. And, and to be fair, they did. But they, they bought within, they knew their budget, they knew what they needed for that first purchase, and yeah. it worked out well for them.
1: And and the- um, Airbnb type scenario works. Is that is that onerous in terms of management for them? Uh, I think it, it probably the juice
0: is worth the squeeze for the time being. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like it's it's okay because the property doesn't need a huge amount of work. It's relatively small. I think it's a two bedroom cottage. Okay. It doesn't need a lot lot of work. It's not a huge cleanup job in the middle of town. It's typically going to be. Uh, adults, not a sort of a big Airbnb with pools and kids and things that can yeah, break yeah. and all those types of things. Very, very simple. Some romantic getaways to for you the, get, you the go wine do, tasting. Yeah, you go do wine tasting, go out for a meal, you use it for a night or two and then you are gone, and it's probably vacant during the week. Mm. Okay. Here we go.
2: And obviously we also had some, some other shares, um, but yeah. again, we, we just went with share um, companies that we buy into ourselves. That was our only mm. reasoning.
0: Yeah, well, it's it, it's a I guess it's the jump back before you bought your property, Mudgy, your first investment mm, in Mudgy, mm. You had your your principal place of residence at that time, That's correct? Right. And and yes. you obviously you'd grafted, you'd saved, and that was essentially buying that home to say, look, we've got our foothold. The Mudgy property, correct me if I'm wrong, but you used equity from your home to buy that first investment. Yes, and then when we got to the point of us having our discussion Mm. in 2021 was obviously some years after you bought money what was the I guess the structure of where the funds and the the finance was going to come from
2: yeah look um, at that point again we're still learning so the broker we've changed brokers since actually did do Mm. an equity release but cross-collateral really with Mm. our principal place of residence which we know you know we don't want to do so that's because we didn't know better at that time, uh, Paul, that that was what we were guided on and we decided to go with to get that mudgy property.
0: Yep.
2: Thank goodness. And I think everywhere in Australia did grow in value. We were in a good position too. Then we soon realised that that wasn't the right move as we continued yep. to build our knowledge. And we reached out to another a broker that was more property investment savvy. I suppose you yeah. really untangled that web for us.
0: Yeah, um, very much so, and and I think that's it's certainly not an uncommon scenario that plays out, mm, out in that, mm. especially in that first investment. Is that, and, and, I, and I'll probably defend not not necessarily knowing the details <laughs> of it at yep. the time, but I know there's, there's there's typically can be a time and a place for cross securitization of mm. whether it's two investment properties together or your home plus an investment mm. or multiple investments for that matter. However, a lot of the time it is done because it is very, very easy. It's a mm. lot less lot less paperwork. It's a lot more seamless. And ultimately, for the broker or bank, it does make the client mm. a lot more sticky over the long term. So, selfishly, they can make a lot more money by doing a lot less if they do get on that pathway. So, I think words to the wise for anyone listening, if a cross-securitization of securities essentially as part of an investment strategy, funding strategy is proposed by your broker, I wouldn't be running the other way necessarily, but I'd certainly ask the question as to how does this relate different to me extracting equity from a property or using equity in a property to then fund a separate investment with a separate standalone opportunity as far as loan structure? And maybe ask the question, is it possible? And if it is, why are we going down the cross-securitization pathway as opposed to having standalone debts? Because I guess to, to go back for fundamental aspects for anyone listening who maybe not necessarily grasping onto the concept is if your properties are linked and let's say we go after your principal place of residence mm. and your Mudgee property, if COVID went the other way, which you know we all remember that there was mm. some, some pretty big economists out there talking about 30, 40, 50% reductions in property prices immediately and when that kicked in, if Mudgee went that way, and all of a sudden you bought it for mid threes and you had a debt of circa three, three fifty on the property and it went down to two fifty. Technically you're in negative equity and you can't sell that property without necessarily having to sell your own principal place of residence exactly. because ultimately they're all linked. And if there's negative equity, then all of a sudden you run into much, much larger issues with your hmm. entire asset base. Whereas if they were delinked and Mudgie was standalone and it went down in value, yes, you might technically have sold it at a loss, but that doesn't mean it affects necessarily your actual principal place of residence debt. So, there's obviously some benefits. There's definitely some hindrances if not done correctly. And I think it's a matter of going into those situations with eyes wide open as opposed to sort of just listening and and agreeing with the broker without questioning their experience.
2: And that's right. And I think for us, we were a little bit ignorant at that time, and mm. um, we put a bit too much trust in the broker at that point. And I'm sure they are a stand up stand up person, um, no mm. doubt. But um, we definitely could have gone down the route of not having to have that cross securitization. So it was messier to untangle for our next purchase. Yep. And um, yeah, it just wasn't the right it wasn't the right move to start. So a lesson learned, and a good one. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, uh, whether it's this lesson or any other lesson, you've you got to make sure you learn from your lessons. Um, and hindsight's a, a wonderful thing. But I, I hear this a lot with um, newer investors. They, they often don't get the right advice when it comes to loan structuring. And, and there's a lot of really good mortgage brokers out there. Um, however, some mortgage brokers, and, and maybe a lot of mortgage brokers, depending on how you frame it, are very good at doing sort of owner occupy stuff. And they might not be as comfortable operating in the investor space, particularly if you're a property investor looking to grow a large property portfolio. And if you get your structure wrong at the front end, let me tell you, it's really, really, really hard to unravel as you go down through that pathway. And, and you know, having sort of knocked around mortgage broker for quite some time, a, a lot of really good brokers' work is untangling people's Structure before they can start doing anything else. You must get a lot with your clients where you just go, they can't go, I can't borrow any more money, mm. you know. And that's why, in, and, um, you know, a lot of people invest in trusts because there's different ways in which lenders view your trust. They can view them independently. If your trusts, I'm not giving financial advice here by any means, but if your trusts are neutrally geared, often they won't even consider the debt. In those trusts as part of your whole serviceability, so you know if you cross um, for some people it's the only only choice, the only yep. option, but it does have uh, some limiting factors around it. So I think you cover that quite a lot. But ask a question like like Chloe's done there. Um, you know, yes, I I'm sure the broker is really really good, but. And often your main banks will say they'll want you to cross-collateralize because if you're cross-collateralized, it's very hard to refinance yep. because you need to refinance everything. You're very sticky. Yeah, very sticky, very sick customer, and particularly when rates go up and people sit Ooh, there yeah. and just go, I, I want to refinance, and they go, uh, uh, uh. I can't get it anywhere else, so you're stuck, right? Yeah. Then you're the, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's how oh, I think, mate, you you've wrapped it up nicely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's continue.
0: Absolutely. And I think look that the reality is you've got that all sorted mm. and on the right track now. So essentially everything yes. that's purchased subsequently is going to be correct structures. You you obviously are far more knowledgeable as you go and you build mm. all these little mm. little tips and tricks along the way. So if we I guess fast forward again back to that mm-hmm. 2021 timeframe, we had mm-hmm. that discussion. We talked about the strategy. We talked about the fact that we wanted to use what we had to continue to, to, to build exactly. up those building blocks. And that's where we landed on North Brisbane as an option. We had a budget of circa sort of mid fives, high fives, mid-sixes at sort of in that region. And we were focusing mm-hmm. on wanting to acquire a growth asset, which was still going to give us some decent cash flow, but certainly a long-term buy and hold play. So mm-hmm. from memory, I think we we bought, we landed on a property in Rothwell, which for anyone who's listening is who's not familiar it's it's probably circa 30 35 minutes from the Brisbane CBD about mm-hmm. 10 minutes from the Moreton Bay coastline um on a new train line access to a bunch of amenity in there probably was considered a very affordable corridor while still being quite well built out there wasn't a huge amount of available supply back then we bought i think we bought that, that property for 590 from memory somewhere around about that price point
2: yes yeah
0: um And obviously, interest rates were a lot cheaper when we bought that property. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. rent, I think, was was low to mid-fives when we first bought the property. Has has that increased since?
2: where it um, when we first bought it it actually was in the uh, the more than the fours um fours. But we had negotiated before we bought it and I, I think you you also helped us a bit with this poor we had definitely tested the waters because it hadn't had a rise for some time and it was mm-hmm. it was quite under market so yeah. it's in the mid three uh, fives now yeah and we're still yeah. with the same great tenants.
0: Yeah, perfect. And and I think that was a bit of a lesson is that whilst the property is probably circa 5% gross yield at the moment, which is not Mm. exceptionally high for gross yield standards for residential property, nor is it terribly low. I think there's a a good lesson that that property was bought with an existing tenant. Mm. That tenant had been looked after by the previous owner, which unfortunately, a lot of the time when you hear people saying they're a fantastic tenant, Legacy tenants, they whilst they can look after a property and obviously they give you continuity of rent, Mm. there's a bit of a fine balance between thinking, okay, how much do I look after them from a rent perspective versus how much are they saving me from upkeep, maintenance, turnover Mm. of tenants, et cetera? And I think you've got to run a bit of a fine line to be fair, but you've also got to be reasonable in the sense that you're running a business with this property, and obviously you need to keep it into that line. So when we did negotiate that property, we were aware that A, they were on a periodic lease. Be mm. their lease and their rent amount was was well and truly below market value. So, it wasn't unfair to bring it to probably somewhere midway around market value. It's not going to mm. be gouging them from a rental perspective but it brings it to a standard where you can consistently keep it on that that lineage and that that trajectory because back then when we bought the property, interest rates in the twos, having a, yeah. a property under-rented by $50, $80, $100 a week wasn't a big deal because it was still cash flow neutral. Mm. Obviously, fast forwarding with with you know fourteen interest rate rises and here where we are now at a four point three five percent cash rate, mm. that's a much much different proposition for people to realise that hey, you know landlords are business owners and they have costs that fluctuate without any of their control, and obviously keeping rents up becomes a lot more important. But
1: so that's another comment. Like um, uh, we 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 fell in love with the property when people go, oh yeah, I got great tenants, they're really really nice. <laughs> oh, but anyway, look! I've I, I, oh, yeah, been there for ten years. Yeah, I know? default that all my tenants
0: yeah. are great people. To be yeah. honest with you, I mean, I don't assume people are sinister and, and have an ulterior motive because of what they're doing in my property mm. or, or clients' properties, et cetera. But I mean, I guess to my point in that in that clip there with Chloe is is that you got to strike a balance, and you, mm. you there's going to be good times and not so good times from a cash flow standpoint for most property investment owners you've got to be realistic. And and the biggest risk that most people fall in line with is that if the tenants are great and they don't ask for much and they keep the property in great condition, yeah, look, I think there's a fine balance of looking after them, but looking after them doesn't mean not looking after yourself. And when it comes down to not looking after yourself, if you can't afford to hold the property and all of a sudden is two things, either A, you have to sell it at a pinch or B, more likely you have to give them a much larger rent rise, they're not going to like that. Mm. And ultimately, they're probably going to leave or they might find issues and then they might push back to you and then you might end up finding yourself in, in tribunal or something else that yeah. comes with that as well. So there's there's a balance. There's always a balance you got to find. What do you
1: there. reckon of people on month-on-month rents? Do you like people on leases or are you okay with month-on-month?
0: Uh, I think when, I, I probably prefer, if I'm honest, if we're buying property with a legacy tenant, um, mm. when I say a legacy tenant, you're buying a property that's already tenanted, you don't, you didn't choose the tenant, so the tenant that comes with the property. If they're on a periodic, uh, when we buy the property, as opposed to signing them up before we settle on a new 12-month lease at a particular point in, in, in price point, we do a few things. We always try to review the tenant ledger, so the last, at least the last 12 months of their payments to figure out, are they regular, mm. before we've actually committed to that tenant. And we also obviously we want to see an ingoing condition report of what the property was when the tenant went in there. So we try to get that information before we actually even recommend a property to our clients. So we know, hey, we we've got this property here that here's the condition of it now. Here's the condition or entry condition report when this tenant moved in. And we know that essentially they're paying their bills on time or they're paying their rent on time. We can see the condition of the property say, three years ago when they moved in, here's the condition of the property based on the photos and the walkthrough. Now, we consider they're keeping the property in pretty good condition. So, we would then in that instance say, yeah, let's throw them another long lease at market rate because we know they're good. Alternatively, it might say, hey, they're a little bit slow and back mm. and forth here in COVID times. They keep the property pretty average. The lawns are overgrown. They don't seem to really care too much about it. I'd keep them on a periodic for a period of time. Assess probably try to get them in line, both with keeping the property at a condition that you're comfortable with, as well as seeing if they're actually paying their rent when they should, how they should regularly. Mm. If they're not, then that obviously gives you an option to potentially give them a vacate notice, depending on where and what you've bought, and obviously the state regulation. Yeah.
1: And it's, say, for example, if you're in New South Wales, if you're on a periodic lease, it's 90 days. 90 days. days so yeah, yeah correct. 90 days. Yeah. So you've got to, to vacate. So you yeah. get them 90 days notice. Yeah, yeah, which is fair and reasonable, in my opinion. Yeah. You know,
0: 90 days, if someone's given a 90-day notice, if you're given 90-day notice today, Phil, and, and ultimately, you know, you've got no alternative to renew the lease, then you're like, mm. okay, well, that's three months. I guess I'll start looking for a property this weekend. Yeah. And that's where it starts, and that's enough time. I um, mean, you're not you're kicking them out in two weeks. You're, you're no. giving them
1: ample time to find accommodation. And you, if someone's in a lease, you can't break the lease. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Just a bit, but you can choose not to renew the lease. Exactly. So at the end of exactly. the term, you just go, yeah. there's no renewal. Exactly. So if they go, oh, I want to stay here, then you can have a, Commercial negotiation with them, exactly. Yeah, yep. and you typically want to do that well before the lease is up for renewal as well. Yeah, and most places you've got to give
0: sixty, 60 days, days, thirty notice. to sixty days, depending on the state and territory you're that buying. In. Jack up the yeah, yeah. That either jack up the rent or new twelve month, new six month lease, you yeah. know, any other conditions. A lot of time, one big note as well for anyone who's got legacy tenants. Say, let's say three, four, five, ten years in the same property. Mm. One thing to always remember too is that if you're buying a property that the tenant's been there for a very long period of time, the likelihood is that their bond is extremely low as well. Yeah. So you've got to remember the bond's typically four weeks rent. If they were renting the property 10 years ago or even five years ago at a rate that was very low or low comparative to what it is today, there's probably very little amount of money you can claim if they're an average tenant. Can you so do a
1: rent top up? Yeah, bond can, top
0: up. You can. Yeah. You definitely can. You can request it as part of a new lease negotiation to mm. say, look, oh, I'm happy for you to sign on to a new lease at X for Twelve months, but part of the conditions of that is, I want the bond, bond to go to current rents as well because you know that's a protection for you as an investor and as a landlord.
1: What's the nitty gritty? Let's go back to Chloe.
0: But I guess more importantly, that that property was obviously not bought to get a cash flow play immediately. Your Mudgy property, different proposition. Mm-hmm. You bought it, and obviously yes. that was a lifestyle play. It was a property that was now being switched to an Airbnb, mm-hmm. and obviously th- the beauty of that is you've also held it for a longer period of time. Yes. It's seen good growth, good cash flow. Uh, the Rothwell property value now, from what I can see, is probably around that mid early to mid-sevens. Um, so, yes, I'd probably yes. say it's circa 20 25% growth mm-hmm. on where it was purchased in a bit less than two years ago or somewhere around about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what we landed on then was saying, okay, great. We've now got exposure in New South Wales. You've got your principal place of residence in Sydney. Mm-hmm. You've got a bit of diversification into the share market. That'll remain. However, we're now exposed in the Brisbane market, looking at that as a 10-year play. And then what we ended up doing, I think we caught up, it might have been early 2023 from memory, mm. which then led to the next conversation, which I'll maybe throw to you to sort of give the audience a bit more understanding as to, okay, well, we saw a bit of growth. We wanted to continue to move forward. What did we do at that time? Pending, obviously, also taking into consideration you had a young family, life was chaotic, life still probably no doubt is chaotic, um, mm-hmm. but you, you had the ambition and demand to keep going.
2: Yeah, and definitely yeah, life is chaotic but we we do have that um end vision I suppose uh in mind at all times mm-hmm. and I think with that in mind we you know we're aiming for a bit more of an earlier retirement um so we did want to make another play and we reached out again and we did our own research as we like to do as well and mm-hmm. um we settled on diversifying into the Perth market. Mm-hmm. Um you helped us out there and I think one of the fundamentals for us that we like to do also is to keep that land-to-building ratio quite generous. So, both our properties do have, um, you know, a, def- a close to 600 to 700 type square metre properties and we know that the land mm. appreciates over time. And that was the same for the property that you found us in Perth. And we, mm. uh, I think um, that that's up is where we landed yes. there. And, yeah, we had a low purchase price. I didn't even know we had houses available for, for 380. At, at, yeah. For that property. So, um, yeah. So that was an easy move for us because we we're able to again leverage the equity in the mudgy property. To yeah, absolutely. To make that and move. I think
0: the beauty about that, and this is probably a good lesson for anyone listening, to say, mm. well, you haven't built this portfolio in in a month, in a year, or even two or three years. You haven't necessarily got lucky because of COVID, what you've done is you've essentially bought your principal place of residence when you could, you you worked hard, saved the deposit, got your borrowing capacity up, kept your income strong, kept growing your incomes as and when you could within your jobs, use that to then leverage into a property. That property grew in value. You You could have essentially at that point in time done nothing. And if we rewind sort of six, seven, eight years before you even bought Mudge, you know, the, the scenario there could have been pretty straightforward to say, you know what, let's raise a family and let's be happy and let's pay off our home and then mm-hmm. let's hope that Super is going to fulfil our retirement. What you've eventually, what, what you've essentially done, rather early in your careers, is sort of made a decision. We'll say, well, we will be paying into our Super. We don't intend to stop working. Our Super mm-hmm. will be what it'll be, regardless of whether we choose to get more aggressive and work harder and maybe take some additional risks, push the envelope a little bit more than what others might not be prepared to do. But that led to obviously extracting some of that equity from that home, buying Lodgy.
1: So I reckon Chloe's story is probably more consistent with most property investors than what you would be led to believe by listening to podcasts and stories that might you might read in like these hyper strategic people yeah you know like oh, yes I'm gonna do like and, and and if you sort of get property stuff into your feeds on on your social media you would think that everyone is a shrewd strategic property investor yeah no. where most people are just making it up as they go along with time on their side yeah and probably not make it up as they go along, but just sort of like there's a degree of patience and a, and a degree of pragmatism. Which absolutely sounds like Chloe's story. It's yeah. not like they they haven't set out and 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 aggressively followed some strategic path. Some people do that, but yeah. b- most don't.
0: And, and, and the reason why most don't, I believe, Phil, is that you know, we, we catch up with hundreds and hundreds of our existing clients every single year. And, and I'm not going to go to every single client when I do a review of their portfolio and say that it's grown by 8.3%, just like we said it was going to in 2021. Essentially, we review and figure out, is there capacity? Has your income changed? Has your life changed? Mm-hmm. Has your expenditure changed? Have interest rates changed? Have your rents changed? All these inputs are going to change. And, yeah. and ultimately, if the answer is, hey, we're going to continue to stay the course for the time being, then we stay the course and then we catch up again the next year and then at some point in time, it might be, hey, there's enough equity, there's borrowing capacity, you've got the desire, you know that if you do nothing, you're on this course. If you do something more, you're probably on yeah. this course. That's that's a very real way. To your point, that's what most I believe, not only property yeah. investors but successful property investors.
1: That's typically how they flow through it. Yeah, in twenty time, they go, wow, how did that happen? Yeah. I, just, I just didn't realize that. You know, it's but the point I'm, I, I want to make is that it's okay. If you're not a hyper aggressive, spending every minute of every day planning and thinking and being strategically orientated around your, your property portfolio, it's okay. Just to you know, like buy good properties. Yeah. Your strategy might be, I'm going to buy good properties and hold them long term and try and make sure that they don't cost me too much money to hold over that period of time. That's okay. That's a playbook. In itself. Like, <laughs> that's okay. It, that's it, enough. That's the strategy you need, that's right? That's the strategy. You know, it doesn't need to be oh, you know, do this, that, 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 You know, it's 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 yeah. So it's okay. It's okay if the other way as well. If you want to be yeah. super engaged and, you know, I want to get four properties in the first year and then three properties the next and and every moment is built around your property portfolio. Mm. Oh, no, I'm not gonna to go to that party because I'm gonna to have to buy Voggers and Coke and I don't want to spend Yeah.
0: $100 that, That's on where that, the challenges you know? lie, I think, when people are in that point where they're doing their algorithm for every single dollar and cent, that yeah. the P&L is, is their life, and it just becomes, for me, that becomes probably something that is not sustainable, and that's yeah. where most people I find probably just get out of it because it all of a sudden, something happens and they have to throw the ba- ba- baby over <laughs> the bathwater.
1: Um, I'm sure someone else will use this at some point in time, but property investment is like dieting, right? You can count your calories and you can weigh every single bit of chicken breast and cut it up and make sure it's perfect to a gram and you can do fourteen protein shakes and one egg and this that, and the other. Like some people hyper hyper focused and, and hyper aggressive when it comes to their food intake on a basis of their dieting plan. Whereas other people just go, you know what? I'm just not gonna eat breakfast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: cut that out. I'm just gonna remove it.
1: And, and and it's just just it's just one thing, you know, and and it's pretty easy to do. You just go, I'm just gonna eat breakfast anymore. Yep. I'll have a coffee, I'll have a black coffee instead, yeah, yeah. right? You know, so there's horses for courses, yep. right? It's the same objective, you know, you wanna lose a bit of weight or be healthier yep. or fitter or whatever it is. The calorie counter, you know, is probably on a lot more focused or condensed pathway, you know, whereas the I'm going to cut out breakfast purses looking for a long-term change, which over time, they probably jump on the scales and go, oh, I've lost five kilos. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah, yeah, Me personally, I switched to low carbohydrate beer. <laughs> <laughs> You've made your
0: sacrifice. But but I think when, if I look at that as, as a, an analogy, Phil, it's, it's very accurate. But I think if I look at people who are healthy and happy, ultimately it comes down to you know, diet, lifestyle, and consistency mm. is probably always going to be the word that I see is far more prevalent in successful property investors yeah. and people who live a happy and healthy physical lifestyle as well. Yeah. They're typically pretty consistent. They don't mm. try to do things for a very short and radical period of time to get an outcome. And all of a sudden they bounce back to their old habits. If they've got good habits, stick to them. Yeah. It's yeah. not that much more
1: complicated. Yeah. And and the point being that if you, whale, 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 if you weigh every meal every day, like it's, yeah. it's just not yeah. practical. It's, it's Well, it might be practical for some people if they're <laughs> obsessed with it. For but, a long period of time. But, but, sure. yeah. but if you want a, a quick way to stop doing something quickly, make it hard to do. Yeah. Anyway, maybe property investment is a bit the same. I'm sure there's people that's going to disagree with me on that. No doubt. But, um, it's a good analogy. then, in
0: turn, you've made your own luck by buying a property which had some owner-occupier appeal, was in a desirable area, had all those fundamentals of mm. no supply, consistent demand in a market that was growing, in an economy that was growing. COVID happened. Now, a lot of people, unfortunately, at that early stages of COVID also went the opposite way and said, I've got to get rid of this. And you could have, mm. and I don't doubt that at that time, you might have also had a fleeting moment of saying, we could be in trouble here. We've got to sell Mudgee. But you yeah, know, you hold your. Do you ever think that in COVID? Ever? I didn't. It's funny you say it because I know you and I, and anyone who go back to about April 2020 or maybe even March 2020, Mm -hmm. you and I did a podcast where we talked and I went really deep into data at that point in time and I remember going right into it saying, what's likely to happen here? And we looked at the last five recessions prior to that. Some of them were expected, some of them were literally within minutes. And we looked at the data and the following five years, property grew. And I know these numbers because I looked through it so many times. The property grew on average, the following five years for each of the last five recessions from 1980 to COVID grew by 33%. on average. And you looked at the reasons why. Why? Because money got cheaper, supply got essentially less available, and ultimately what happened is that the economy had a, a radical little fluctuation. But the other big thing, which has also played out too, is that property in Australia, almost to the month... Every time you see a reduction in value, there is a V-shaped recovery. Mm. It's uncanny, and it's typically because there's levers to pull to recover the market, but yeah, that's what Yeah, I happened.
1: overlay the data of property prices and share prices over that period in March, and look at the, the sawtooth difference. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I might be looking at this through rose-tinted glasses. Yeah. I don't ever remember thinking oh, God, I've got to sell all my properties. Like The only time I've ever thought about selling properties because of something happening was when the Premier in Queensland was yeah. pretty much going, I'm going to tax everyone <laughs> on their entire property portfolio if they hold property in Queensland. Yeah. I actually sat there and went- This is bad. This is bad. <laughs> this is like going, I, I begin, yeah. this is lunacy. Yeah. But if this comes in- Yeah, I have no like, control. I, I don't like- yeah. I I know some people who must be a I know people who, who sold agree. too. I know yeah, a lot of people, who, people who sold, sold and yeah. they sold multiple properties unnecessarily as it turned yeah. Yeah. out. Yeah. Just because this the premier said yeah I'm going to tax your whole yeah. your whole portfolio. So you might have one $400,000 property in Queensland and you might have $10 million in property outside of it. She's going to tax you yeah. on the total amount. It's funny, Phil, it re, <laughs> re, rewinds
0: my mind. We fix mind. that, don't worry. But, uh, absolutely. To 2020, I, I personally actually drew some wrong mind on me. I actually bought, I think I bought six properties in that year personally, and I know I, I bought two large developments, which I ended up undertaking both in Sydney at the time. And they ended up being the best returns I've ever achieved Mm. in property in a 18-month period of time. And I own most of those properties I developed today. But I remember that was at the time what I did. And I know I think you did the same thing at that time, Phil, is I got my money ready. I went straight to my bank and my my broker and I said, what can I borrow? What can I borrow? And I remember there was a period of time I went shopping for about four months between, I think it was March and about July 2020. Mm. I went shopping for everything I could find that I knew had some upside to it.
1: There you go. Anyway, you clue. Nerve
0: and you realise that, hey, so property, residential property in Australia and this current population growth increase that we're going through is, is extremely, extremely predictable um, when it comes to the fact of the matter is that we are not building more property in anywhere near the rate that we need to. So you made that decision, you bought, you bought Mudgee. Obviously, only three or four years later, you did the work to say, okay, well, let's not just rest on our laurels here. We're working. We're increasing our income. We've started a family. You could have had, again, all the excuses to say, that's enough. Yep. We don't do this anymore. But you, you again, you just, you chose to say, okay, we're comfortable being busy. We're comfortable saying it's okay to be busy. It's okay.
1: Such a mindset thing, right? Massively.
0: It's everything. It's yeah. everything. Like We could all put it, say, too hard basket. That's tomorrow's problem. I'll make that decision in 2024. Yeah. I'll make it to 2025. There's no doubt people listening to this saying, it was my mission to buy a property in 2023. Now it's almost coming to the end and I should have, could have, would have again.
1: Yeah. Is it Chloe or is it- the combined partnership with her, her husband, I imagine, is it like, yeah, absolutely who, her the, husband
0: Joel. They're both the drivers, so yeah. they are equally. He, she was just available for this interview, yeah. but they're, they're both very much equally. And again, another important factor: yeah. both
1: on board. That's important, right? Both on yeah. board, and they're not so, just so over aggressive. So, if you've got a a partnership, irrespective of what that looks like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If one person's really hyper into it and one person's not, often doesn't. No, no. And if it
0: does, it usually falls apart in some way, shape or form. And someone, you know, if the moment someone goes wrong, the person was the naysayer, no, so say, say, I told you so. If something goes right, yeah. they never get the accolades that they deserve for actually being
1: the one who's who's sort of made all the changes. But well, there's the thing. we could have done more. You've been holding us back. You Correct. wanted to buy a new bike. Yeah, yeah, you
0: absolutely. Yeah. But I, I hear it actually very regularly. People are like, oh, no, this year we decided to buy a boat because we always wanted to. And then and then we actually don't, you know, I, I can. I don't want to name the client, but they know that it was actually the start of COVID. They ended up buying a very expensive boat at the time it's not someone you know, but it's someone I, I knew. And at the time, they were looking to buy three properties and they ended up putting about five, six, 700 grand cash into a boat, <laughs> which was going to be <laughs> three deposits boat. They had borrowing capacity. Yeah. And invariably, they would want to do it because they wanted time with their kids and there was work from home sort of scenario playing out, et cetera. Uh, lo and behold, they sold that boat six months later because they just didn't get to use it. These like, I don't really, we don't use it. Lost too big. the loss. Oh, probably yeah, money was but lost uh, six months. Lost, lost six. Well, they didn't just lose six months. They mm. lost. They lost about eighteen months because by that time they essentially just sort of sold the boat, put the money in the bank, and did nothing mm. in that two years, which between the time we had the first conversation, set the plan of three assets didn't do that, bought a boat, sold the boat, money back in the bank in that two years' time, those markets that were, were proposed grew by about 30%. That was, would have been at about $1.5 million in assets across three, yeah. you know, we're talking they, essentially yeah. there was $500,000 lost in two years, let's put it that way. And was one person more boat than the other person? Or uh, they boat, yeah. boat. No, one was more boat. Yeah. The, the male in that relationship was more boat. He needed a boat. Yeah, he wanted I a, boat, a boat it was his dream and they had the money freed up. The all- Which is okay. Yeah, which is fine, yeah. but but they also had a dream of stop working in less than 10 years and they didn't have the, the, the essentially the portfolio or the cash or the assets yeah. to achieve that.
1: Yeah, and yeah. and- And this is, again, it's a mindset thing, right? Like a lot of people want everything simultaneously and usually you can only choose one. Yeah. And if you're very lucky, you might be able to choose two things. And that is, let's look at the work environment, right? You you hear these discussions all the time saying, I can't afford to buy a house because I can't save a deposit for a house uh, because I'm not getting pay rises. But on the other side, you hear... Now that I think 50% of all Australians have non-traditional working arrangements now. So it means that they're not a full-time employee. It's wild. You know, they're gig economy people. They might have three or four jobs. They do this, that, and the other. They work when they want because they want the flexibility and it's good for their mental health and all this sort of stuff, right? Like, which is cool. Choose one, you know? Yeah. If, if you want to be a property investor, it means you're going to have to make money to pay for deposits. And you need to make money so you can show a bank that you can afford a mortgage. So choose one. You're probably going to have to choose full-time work, I'm afraid. Yeah. You're going to have to be I'm boring. I'm sorry. You're but going to have to be pragmatic. Unless you can do three or four gig-type jobs. And uh, pay tax. And and pay tax. Um, and you might need to work more than 40 hours a week to do that. So, so often, if you want to be a property investor and create and not have to work in the future, you're probably going to have to choose this one. If you want to travel the world and see things and see the sites, that's cool. You can do that. Choose one. Yeah. You know, what I did, I chose one and then
0: I chose the other. Well, that's it. That's okay. That choice after it comes via the choice of the first one. We've used this analogy a fair bit with builders saying you can get something done well, done cheap and done quick, but you can only choose two. Yeah. (laughs) You can't have all three. You can't have all three. And you know that by only choosing two, one of those things is going to be sacrificed and typically it means the outcome you're going to get is not the right one. Yeah. So-
1: Again, it's a mindset thing. So it sounds like Chloe, they 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 worked out what they wanted. They've but got they got a good but balance. They haven't compromised too much. Either. They haven't, but
0: they don't live. Yeah. They, I mean, they don't live an extravagant life. They don't have the unnecessary
1: things. in Life. They're happy. They raise a family. Yeah. They do all the things. They work. And this is like choosing. So they're, they're choosing family and yeah. they're choosing property investment, right? Yeah. They're not choosing family and property investment and overseas holidays every six no. months. They're not sort of you know they're not living a high life with Prada handbags and stuff, right? Correct. Like you can't normally. It's hard to get three. Yeah. You know, two normally, but my recommendation concentrate on one. Yeah. start Get, with the, one. get the one first and you can normally pivot into two. But yep. anyway.
0: Pay to push the envelope a bit if we want to get outcomes that others potentially aren't prepared to essentially do to get the outcomes that we want. And that led to extracting that equity, buying that property in North Brisbane. That property's increased by circa 140, 150 grand. You've preserved that equity. So Third equity is still sitting there untouched. Mm-hmm. You've obviously gone back to Mudgee because the equity is still significant in there. Yes. And that's led to now the purchase, which was only probably five, six months ago, mm. in Kudnup. So, anyone who's not familiar with Kudnup, a little bit south of the Perth market, more in that's that Mandra, bit south of Rockingham region. I actually personally mm-hmm. own property in Mandra myself, which again, not completely dissimilar to Rothwell, where you're probably a little bit further from the CBD of Perth, but for $380,000 of 700 square meters of level land, yeah. You are you are effectively five minutes from from Robert Bay. You're also literally five minutes from the coastline and a hundred uh, different beaches you could choose from. You're on a train line directly to the Perth CBD, a highway to the, directly to the Perth mm. CBD. And you've also got a property which if you did intend to in the future, you could possibly even subdivide and create something more out of it, granny flats, et cetera. For the listeners, that property obviously it's only bought you know, less than six months ago I think we paid three eighty for that property. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the current rent on that property at the moment?
2: The current rent is four sixty.
0: It was four sixty actually. We'll, we'll get into that because you did tell me you did yeah. tell me off there that that this is one of the challenges <laughs> um, and buffers in place. And and I think big key for for listeners right now is that we're talking about all the things you've done and all the mm-hmm. I guess the the tough decisions you made to keep building the portfolio your tenants have recently done a runner on that property. So, you technically now are going through insurance to find tenants and go through that process. So, it's probably worthwhile listeners understanding saying, what happens if my Um, tenants do a runner? Because it is one of those things I I speak about very regularly. It is rare for it to happen, but in your instance, it has happened and there are contingencies in place.
2: Yes. And I think, look, you don't play in this game without expecting that that reality can happen, and I think it just really pushes the importance of having buffers there. And um, you mentioned earlier about potentially crossing our minds whether uh, COVID having to sell Mudgee, and I think before I jump into the the Perth uh, mm. scenario at the moment, having that share portfolio for us was that easy liquidated asset that we could help dig mm. into. If we needed to, so I felt we felt mm-hmm. quite comfortable during that period because we had the share portfolio there. But with the Kundanup property, we, yeah, we are only uh, six months in. We were told we had great tenants, and I'm sure they're great people. But they have they're sent a, an email.
1: She's very kind, isn't she? Very kind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're really <laughs> the glass nice is people. Half full. Yeah, yeah. Though, no, yeah. No, sorry. Back to the yeah. recording, and I'll, and I'm just stopping the recording. So for people who are on audio, it's probably a little bit harder, but you can tell the difference. <laughs> to our
2: real estate management and left the house in a less than desirable state. So, you know, they've left furniture there. We've had to clean out the shed. So not, not a great outcome. But uh, we had lent into our buffers and, it, to be honest, it probably is going to cost us about 15000 all up for that. I think anyone going through the stage, mm. this is where uh, insurance becomes a real asset. You need to have the right insurances and check in on that. Um, we, we check in on that annually anyway. But we are going to be lending in insurance to claim all that. And obviously, timing, again, is not desirable. Um, coming into Christmas, you know, not always easy to get new tenants in, but uh, we are working with our real estate agents. And because we've had those strong buffers there, it hasn't been a big issue for us. And we know we've got the right insurances um, in place. Yeah, so that-
0: that's um there's probably a couple of really key lessons for me mm. there is that that a buffers buffers are important irrespective of how good the insurance is because unfortunately mm. insurance it, it comes after the fact, it'll never come immediately when you need it. So the buffers are key. and yeah for for anyone who's listening and wonders what what a buffer should be or could be, um there's different schools of thought certainly out there uh, from from my experience, uh, depending on your incomes and and sort of some of your expenditures, we typically find that, Regardless of your property portfolio, if you quantify how much money you need, whether your property is a positive, negative, neutral, in, in, and you've got a larger portfolio, or you only have your home, or you don't have any property in your portfolio, for me, somewhere between that three and six months of total living expenses to say, if I turn my income off today, how much money do I need to survive? We typically find that somewhere between that three and six months is sort of your minimum buffer as far as cash buffer now obviously that means that it can be flexible regardless of how you live your life but that price point of three to six months is sort of that minimum buffer if someone's trying to think about how much do I need and what would be a comfortable amount I've found that over the years of looking through numbers going through a whole range of different scenarios that it's a good way good place for everyone to start But maybe just do your math on how much money do you actually spend on a three-month to six-month basis and probably then use that as your your guiding light because that's usually going to be a much, much easier way to do some rules. Um, just touching on, on insurance because this is an important one and it's a very important one because this is an example and a scenario where insurance could cover this, insurance couldn't cover this. And this is a big part of what we do when we do settle on property is that we do contact insurance Aggregators on our clients' behalf to ideally get a number of different quotes because those quotes aren't just saying, well, this insurer versus that insurer is going to charge you X or Y for exactly Mm -hmm. the same insurances. Oils ain't oils when it comes to insurance. And there's things like loss of rent extra, even loss of rent, that can define whether it's six weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. There can be malicious damage or accidental damage. Mm -hmm. There can be things like this where we're talking about re advertising fees. Then you're talking about how much your premium is going to be if you make a claim. All of these things, obviously, they'll dictate the price and the cost of the insurance. But if you don't mind maybe just sharing some of the the top line aspects, because you mentioned look, this might cost you $15,000, you have buffers in place, however, you've already contacted.
1: So this insurance bit, Paul, was obviously pretty important. Have you ever seen anyone not be insured and cop it? I can't say that personally- se- Most I'm, lenders want it, right, or they need it. Yeah, a,
0: yeah. A, which is a good thing because yeah. most lenders want to see the the, um, the certificate of, of insurance prior to settling mm-hmm. and with the bank, whoever you're borrowing the money from as the insured party as the first mortgagee, um, mortgage of, of that property to make sure that obviously they're going to get their property covered. For me, this part is a really key part and more of my experience over the years is lent towards saying we don't ask the the insurance aggregators that we contact prior to settlement when we're trying to arrange correct insurance. We don't say, give us the cheapest policy. It's really understanding what do we want included. Things like loss of rent extra is a choice. Obviously, that means you've got to have buffers in place if you choose not to have loss of rent covered and certain insurers just won't cover loss of rent, whether it's going to be someone doing a runner or whether it's going to be a property burns down and has to be replaced. There's a period of rent that they'll cover that would have otherwise been coming your way because obviously you've got a mortgage. We have had instances when you buy thousands of properties, you see everything. And Over the term, we've seen everything from as simple as someone doing a runner and having to get insurance to cover the clean out of a property, the repainting, re-carpeting, loss of rent, and a range of other yard tidy-ups, etc. cetera. Make sure that's included in the policy right through to a house burning down, and house burning down will be A, do you have malicious cover? Do you have accidental cover? How did that fire get started? Because that will have to be determined by someone, mm. and if you don't have malicious damage and if someone's intentionally tried to burn down your property, whether it's a tenant or someone else, you may or may not be covered for that. So, ask these questions. But let's say you are covered for that, then all of a sudden the property has to be demolished. Then all of a sudden you've got to know whether the new for old replacement amount is going to be adequate. And let's say it is adequate, you've still got typically probably say 12 months between the time the property was burnt down to when it gets demolished, then it gets replaced. Someone has to pay the mortgage that still exists yeah, on that property. Under
1: insurance is huge.
0: And words of the wise if this is a moment in time for you on your portfolio, Pick up the phone to your insurance aggregator or your insurer and go through all these questions. Go through your properties and go through the numbers because you might be actually really, really surprised into how underinsured you are. And if you want some numbers of some really good insurance brokers, reach out to us. We've got a bunch of aggregators that we can share their names and numbers with, who we know we've worked with over the years, but very important important topic okay, permanently.
1: Cool. There you go. Uh, how do people do that? Where-
0: uh, they could just jump up purepropertyinvestment.com um, and they can uh, actually, they could probably just give a call 1300 985428 and our team would be able to
1: put them in touch with some insurance right. aggregators. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Back to recording.
0: Your insurer, you go through the process. The idea is that you get all of that essentially reimbursed to you. Out of that, what are what are the costs, the hard costs for the premium or, or essentially the excess that you would have to, have to pay for the sake of having all of this covered?
2: Yeah, look, um, you've hit the nail on the head with the complexities of the insurance because whilst we also have to do some paint work and replace carpets and things as, as part of this. Now, it is some of that will be, out for instance, loss of rent. There is a cap of up to $5,000 on that one, so it's really important mm-hmm. for us to turn that, turn that around really quickly yeah. um, and get a renter in there. There's two separate claims. You do have the the loss of rent and then also the cleanup and, and all of those fees as well. So, yeah. look, I don't think we're out by too much. I couldn't tell you the exact figure at the end of the day. I yeah. do know we've made the decision, and only because um, my husband has been dealing with the insurance providers on that one for me, which is great. But yep. we have made the decision to not claim the paint, the paint yeah. job. So, we are going to take a hit of about 5,000 there. So, that's going to cost us. But, and that's just because it is a new tenancy and it's gonna be a struggle to to prove what's even though we've been informed. But it's just it's yep. the evidence game, you know. Yeah. Um,
0: exactly. And and ongoing yep. inspection reports versus what's wear and tear, et cetera. That's but right. I think it's a very real scenario. And and I think for those who are thinking it's a nightmare, look, it can be a nightmare if you choose for it to be a nightmare. Mm. It certainly could be a nightmare if you don't plan for mm. these things as mm-hmm. far as having buffer and having adequate insurances. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm personally speaking as a as a large scale property investor and have been mm-hmm. so for a very long period of time i can i can definitely attest to the fact that i've had my fair share of tenants moving yeah. out it hasn't resulted in me selling property i'm, I'm positive of that and and i think even the, where the juice becomes worth the squeeze if i'm looking at the numbers even on the property that we've bought there um in kudna that the property was bought for circa $380,000 We've just done. I've just actually done a bit, bit of background research on Call Lodge on that property in that market, mm. and, and I would probably say, as and when that property is freshened up with new tenants, mm. tenants look it would be freshened up. Likelihood is that the rent will be high fours, if not early fives, by that time. Yes. The reality is that that property is probably going to be worth around about four hundred and forty, four hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and obviously mm. that was six months ago. Now, yes, you've had to tip in some money. No, this wasn't planned. But when you're buying correctly, you're buying in a market that's growing in value, you're buying in a market that will see increased rents amounts, these things will happen. Irregularly, they will happen. But I think you, you've probably proven the point that if you have the contingencies before mm. they happen, and when these things do invariably happen, you're not left freaking out or holding the bags and thinking we've just got to get out of mm. this because you kind of already said, look, at some stage this will happen. We're planning for it to happen. Ideally, it doesn't happen as soon as it has. But if it yes. does, we're kind of saying, well, this is part for the course. And the more you do it, the more you realize that it kind of comes in a little bit of those waves and you do get periods of time where it seems to happen every other day. You get a call from your property manager, you have a tenant leave, and then you do get periods and I can attest again to having I mean, dozens of properties where I won't get it and I'll touch wood right now because mm. I know I'm going to jinx myself. <laughs> but you, you do get those 6 or 12 months of zero and you just get rent comes in you pay your mortgage, and you move on, and growth happens. Consequently, from all of that, um, but it's—I think it's a—it's a really great, even keel example as to saying, yes, we've got growth out of property. Within six months, you've had to deal with probably some of those things you ideally wouldn't deal with in a ten-year time of holding a property.
2: Yeah. And I suppose, look, we're looking at it whilst well, so it was a risk. It's an opportunity now for us. We, are, we mm. are cleaning up the property a little bit more. We're taking the opportunity to redo the carpets, repaint it, spruce it up, and hopefully we will get a better quality tenant in in the yep. property. And like you say, add some, uh, a little bit more value to that and to the rent that comes in into that. So, you know, it's hard to paint with tenants in there. So, uh, and a <laughs> job. So it's, it's, it's an very, opportunity. It's very,
0: very true. It's very true. And I think Probably before we close up on that, uh, the one thing that is worthwhile also noting is that because they were existing tenants, th- this is a challenge. Sometimes we buy assets with tenants in there. Whilst that's great because you essentially should be getting rent from day one, what you don't get is the ability to do a pre-settlement inspection and look at a property from its warts and all zero belongings mm. in the property and actually figure out, okay, at some stage we might need to paint the walls, we might need to redo those carpets. You can get an idea but when it's full of furniture and people's belongings, it's hard to really understand what it looks like. So, probably a word to the wise for any property investors is, yes, it's it's sometimes a very big win when you can buy a property with existing tenants in place, but it does come with its drawbacks. And that might be that genuinely you can't understand the condition, but also you can't choose the tenants because the ch- tenants are already chosen for you. A lot of the time, that's great. Sometimes in this instance, it's worked out not being the best outcome possible, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. And the other mm. one to lean in on in this one, it was a risk and we knew that, was um, this was privately managed before.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Which is very so, common in, in uh, WA as, as it, says, as it yeah. turns out. It's, it's a much more common proposition in WA than it is in most other states, privately managed assets.
2: Yeah. So, for instance, we should have,
1: I'll just stop it there. One of the reasons why is because agents' fees are a lot they more high they, they are. They have yeah. just got to, Unfortunately, I
0: still haven't had a good explanation from a property yeah. management company, but they just seem to have a racket on the whole market. And I is. think anyone who's a property manager on the East Coast, they're, it's ripe for a shake-up over there. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, let's go back.
2: I potentially could have challenged the on time payments and things that mm. we we noticed were slipping from the start. But because the asset was so affordable from our point of view, mm. being at an entry point of three hundred and eighty thousand, mm. um it didn't hit our bottom line mm. a significant amount. Um yep. so it was again, it was um tolerable. Yep. Um, and, and- it was easy to get through. No, for sure. Look,
0: I'm conscious that we we obviously could talk about all these different (laughs) challenges. And now I know there's there's just so many different bits and pieces. We could could definitely lean in on the mudgy Airbnb scenario and a range of other things as well. But I think for for me, probably what would be great to understand for Mm. the listeners and probably just to wrap it up is, is where to from here? Because obviously, you subsequently continue to build the portfolio and we've made sure that there hasn't been dramatically sideways movement. So, mm. obviously, there's there's equity that's building up, there's incomes, mm-hmm. there's life, there's all the busyness, et cetera. And we obviously mm. know that the longer-term objective here is to build up this portfolio mm. with the understanding that we want to ideally position you for the op- alignment with income cash flow that will suffice. Mm. I guess, what's the plans from here as far as given we've just bought this property only six months ago, where to and what to at this stage?
2: Yeah, look, we've thought about that a lot. We are conserving some of our equity in our primary uh, place of residence because we mm-hmm. are looking at doing um, an, a bit of a knockdown at the back of it and an extension. But um, to keep our, our continuing our path forward, we are in the process of converting our super to self-managed um, super. So we can start to leverage that to um, purchase our next property and then hopefully mm. soon after that, another property there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Mm. and I think that's the key there. We talked about diversification, not just yeah. into property, certainly into some other mm. aspects, shares being very liquid. Mm-hmm. You have those available. You can sell them as and when you might need mm. some cash at any given point in time. You've also now obviously got a, quite a substantial property portfolio. You've got your home, you've got a New South Wales investment, a Queensland investment, a Perth or a WA investment. Now, what that also means is that you start to hit the top end of where your borrowing capacity is from personal sure. names. Now, the conversation we had quite some number of months ago is it saying, well, we're kind of getting close, if not already at the top end of that borrowing capacity for the time being. Superannuation and SMSF is a separate lever that can be pulled even as and when you've mm. reached the maximum of that budget. So, obviously, they're the conversation you're having, getting some advice from a legal standpoint, mm-hmm. understanding the pros and cons, and then ideally continuing to diversify into that. Is looks like it's going to be the next steps. With a, a decent uh, fund between yourself and Joel, I think what is going to be able to do then now is is certainly you've got time on your side, mm. you're going to have leverage on your side, um, and I'd be extremely confident that I think if we did catch up this time next year, there's no reason why I think we should be talking, A, about the new tenants that are in the Coodnut property and B, about the, uh, the SMSF property that's in the portfolio and ideally some further diversification and, and building towards that long-term goal.
1: I'm going to stop it there because we can find out what happens
0: next. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Yeah. And I think, look, a, the, a good example that we started from from the very beginning with this conversation with Chloe and, and also with her husband, Joel, is that they started, they're continuing to go even now when they're kind of getting to the point, yes, that there's all been con- all kinds of trial and error, which as we know, Matt, happens with property when mm-hmm. you own it for a long period of time. And now they're getting to the top end of where their borrowing capacity and personal name stands. They're trying to find other avenues and getting the correct strategy, correct advice to look at continuing to build their portfolio. And as, as you know, mid 30, couple with kids, et cetera. Um, if, if they've got one, possibly two more assets in their portfolio, circa mm-hmm. value, excluding their principal place of residence of probably around $2, 2500000 million, dollars, 20, 25 years for that to mature in value, I think they're probably going to be on track for a circa $5 million asset base by the time of retirement, with a relatively modest debt on mm. that, and plenty of levers to pull to to enjoy a, what will likely be the opportunity to have the choice for some early retirement. And again, it's a pretty common story. Pretty common story. To... Not hyper complicated. There, nope. there's nothing in there that people are like. Oh, wow, I didn't realize they could do that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really, but unfortunately, basic, boring, and just good old fashioned time and property investing. Boring
1: is good with property. Boring. boring. Is very Maybe good. we should rename this podcast the Boring, boring, property, the boring property, podcast.
0: property Podcast. Fantastic. <coughs> it, you, you see your time. Your talent is wasted here in podcast yeah, territory, don't worry, I won't brand management, pretty, marketing. Yeah,
1: maybe. I'm pretty boring. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, that's a pure property podcast with Paul Gossip. Episode four? Episode four. Good. We're going
0: to get one more out before the end of the year, I think, mate, if we can, but maybe, no. maybe not. We'll, um, we'll see how we see, can. There we go. Well, so we'll uh, go. Uh,
1: you, can go and you don't need to wait for me to talk to poor. You can call
0: them up yourself if you want. You can, you can definitely. 1-300-985428 or purepropertyinvestment.com. Also, people can catch up with us on our socials. That's where we, we pump out a lot of information specific to either property market advice, data, what we're doing at the moment, which markets we're buying in, a lot of these types of updates. So if they go to uh, pure underscore property, I believe on Instagram, Facebook, they can like us, follow us and really get a lot more traction as to the more the day-to-day machinations. But if you want to catch up and do exactly what we've done there with Chloe and Joel, purepropertyinvestment.com, hit the inquire now button and they can literally set up a time with me to chat typically within the week.
1: All right, there you go. Well, uh, the offer is there. um, If you haven't started maybe it's time to start. Anyway, I'll let you make that call. I'll be back again uh, with the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop uh, shortly. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time until then. Bye-bye. The
0: information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.